0: Hello, I'm Margarita Karol, working on all things Russian-speaking Jewish at JDC Twine, and this is the inaugural episode of Not Your Babushka's Russian-Speaking Jew. Twine is working to support a generation of young Jews who lead and live a life of action with global Jewish responsibility at its core. We offer transformative global service and travel experiences, innovative educational programs, and tailored leadership development opportunities through which young people can explore, find meaning, and take action. Entwine is an initiative of JDC, the largest Jewish humanitarian organization in the world. And we partner with and are supported by Genesis Philanthropy Group to produce experiences specifically for Russian-speaking Jews a trip to Odessa and Kharkiv in Ukraine that I took with a cohort of 20 other American Russian speaking Jews last fall. And this is important for a few reasons. We require different access points for our own Jewish traditions after being separated from them due to systematic oppression over generations in the former Soviet Union and beyond. So acknowledging that allows for an experience that reintroduces us to our own traditions, while also creating space for us to experience even more layers of this complex identity. And depending on when you immigrated to America, and from where to where, well, that's even another added layer. For example, meeting our Ukrainian counterparts, young professionals finding ways to express their identities through community there, like through social enterprises that reflect the same global Jewish responsibility that JDC is practicing in these places, linking with community to uplift and transcend the oppression that's now in our past. And we should celebrate that. In this confusing time, when we're all physically disconnected from each other to protect each other and focusing on getting our fundamental needs met, one of those very real needs is still community. And we invite you as Russian-speaking Jews and as allies of Russian-speaking Jews to join us on this journey through this podcast to see how others are expressing this part of their identities. In this episode, I spoke with two people who joined me on that fall Ukraine trip. Caroline grew up in New York City, and she now lives in D.C., and Matt, my brother, lives in Chicago.
1: My parents immigrated in November 91 from Belarus, from Minsk and suburbs of Minsk. My mother is quite the trooper because she was eight months pregnant in this process, and I was born uh, a month later in Brooklyn, New York. Dana and are... Our- my childhood best friends who invited me to come on the JDC Entwine RSJ Ukraine trip. Diana and Alana, their house was my second home because it's like a particular kind of lifestyle growing up in a Soviet household. New Year's tree, Dietmaros came and brought us presents. I made a documentary film about Brighton Beach um, and interviewed some of the locals to highlight how the two cultures and this kind of um, legacy of the Soviet Union, where the Soviet Union no longer even exists, Uh still exists, in a way, in New York City. And that was really interesting because, you know, a lot of people do end up in that neighborhood, but my parents made a conscious decision to to assimilate. It's not just that there are so many Jews in New York, um, and therefore Russian-speaking Jews, But also, I, as a, you know, throughout my childhood, I went to the Jewish community house in Bensonhurst, and that is a big reason why I was surrounded by RSJs. Um, And I even went to Gyahad, a summer camp with Diana and Alana. And I do think it was, like, something about um, that Jewish values were part of what what our specific Soviet households made our like made our theirs and my household similar.
2: I think that my experience was a little different, just because by the time I was born, our par- uh, my parents had been here a little bit, mm-hmm. and also they got divorced
0: mm-hmm, uh, pretty
2: mm-hmm. early on, and uh, our mom remarried uh, someone who was much more Americanized. I would say. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that makes my experience a little bit different just because I feel like I grew up in a more almost like mixed Americanized household. I never really hang out with any Russian-speaking Jews.
0: And with afternoon New York City traffic blaring in the background at JDC headquarters, I also spoke with Asher Ostrom, who's the interim CEO of JDC, a.k.a. The Joint, as my family knew it back in the day. And back in the day, Asher was at the JDC Vienna office, intercepting families like mine in the 80s, who were expatriating from the Soviet Union as refugees on our way to Italy to wait our visas to get to America.
3: First of all, the Soviet Union as a place was impenetrable and was a state that was going to last forever. And the entire goal at that point was to press the Soviets on human rights so that people would leave the notion that Jews willingly stay behind and try and build Jewish life, so be the was inconceivable. In, um, I believe at the time it was in Moscow, was someone who was, and he was a physicist, but in the course of talking, it turns out he taught Hebrew. And uh, and in the course of the conversation, he also heard that I was teaching in a Jewish school, and he wanted to compare experiences. So, you know, this or that. And I said, you know, my students often don't come. He said, oh, when my students don't come, he was teaching adults. When my students don't come, that means they were arrested because mm-hmm. otherwise, if they're sick, they come. And I was completely blown away that people will be so committed to learning something about yeah. their own identity, their own traditions, their own history, that someone, the only, he said, I remember saying this, as if it was yesterday, the only reason some wouldn't come is if the KGB had stopped them.
0: In moving here, a lot of our families took a tabula rasa approach, in that storytelling about the old country was really tapered, if it existed at all. In the story of our lives back in old country, the book was entirely closed when our chapter of immigration began, in order to shield us as children from the normalized abuses towards Jewish citizens in the Soviet Union. This was a fresh start. Did you, as you were growing up, ask questions about where you came from? I didn't
1: really ask. Um, I My grandfather uh, wanted to share that, and I don't think we really listened. When I went to college, I took a class in oral history, and that's when I, of my own volition, decided to ask. So I... Uh, it, so it was a class that taught the theory of memory and of collective memory, individual memory, you know, of societal memory. And so when it came time to create our own projects, I decided that this was my opportunity to do that kind of questioning in a way that I felt like I had the toolkit to do appropriately. And also, I did a lot of research surrounding Belarusian um, Jews in World War II, so I was better prepared, and also just more of a of a curious adult at that point. And that's when I interviewed him, and my great grandma and my grandma, and all on my on my dad's side, about about their experience. What was that like for you? really important and um, I think that it just framed my story, my identity story for myself a lot better.
0: As the trip got closer, our grandfather began opening up about stories that he hadn't shared with us before.
2: It was, it was good to learn about it and to gain them, gain more understanding into them and also to just
1: learn.
0: It's weird because we're outsiders to our own culture at times.
1: Mm-hmm, One hundred percent, yeah. With the yeah. celebration of holidays and with the you know Jewish food and more of these cultural things, and like I never learned about like more of like the tenets surrounding Judaism, like I guess it's called Tikkun Olam, or like all this stuff about. Or I mean, we I did learn about a little. My dad would be like would use the word mitzvahs, right? Oh, it's a mitzvah, stuff like that. You should do a mitzvah. Do it for the mitzvah. <laughs> uh-huh. So, like, I heard about it a little bit, but, like, the, you know...
0: Not in depth, maybe.
1: Yeah, and just that, it, it seemed to me like, I, yeah, I missed out on that part of of the community, that it's, like, that Jewish identity has this very strong... It is it is core to the to the community that we think of others other than ourselves.
0: When we move here, our priority is to get set up here now. There there's not really resources to be like, okay, now we're going to prioritize getting back in touch with this tradition that we were separated from. So it's understandable that these are the circumstances. It was cool to speak with Asher about this because he felt common ground in that experience as someone whose family had come to America a couple generations before his.
1: I actually
3: don't think that that's unique to Soviet Union. But I think a lot of people, a lot of those contemporaries of mine, with the passage of time, looked for more meaning in life than they had. See, for them... For most of us, our grandparents were immigrants. Way before the First World War, even. so our parents were the first successful generation, right? So they took the steps that their parents that were denied their parents. They went. They all went to university. Many of their parents did not. They um, went into professions. Their parents were did not because they didn't have those opportunities. It came down to my generation, right? So two generations later. Okay, I don't, um, you know, where do I find my meaning? My parents found meaning in basically that they made a life for themselves and a future for themselves and their kids were comfortable and everything else. Okay, so wh- what's my challenge? And uh, for me, the, 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 the enrichment of my own experience came from my life experience came from the Jewish identity. I mean, the experience, obviously, of Tunisia so is a little bit different. Um, and also, um, there was a linear transmission of Jewish identity in our lives, where our grandparents, you know, lived intensely Jewish lives to the in Europe, and then they passed on to their parents, to my parents, and they tried to pass, So it kept weakening on the way back, way down. In the former Soviet Union, it works the opposite. The grandparents already didn't know very much. The parents certainly didn't know any much. And now all the kids are coming back and coming back from camp and having these Jewish mm-hmm. experiences or um, going to a JCC and bringing their parents along.
0: It's yeah, I'm not a, just passing it down to the next version. It's, it's going the about. other way.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fascinating. But.
0: Mm-hmm. What was it like for us to meet people who were so much more engaged than us in a place we left because we wouldn't have been allowed to live like this before the fall of the Soviet Union?
2: I mean, I, I guess I understand why they're so engaged because, uh, it's kind of like the pendulum swing, like, uh, it was so taboo. And so, uh, you weren't allowed to do it before express your religion. Um, so for them, it was like important to be able to be Jewish. Yeah. Whereas for us, as if
0: it's like activism, right? Exactly.
2: And for us, I mean, we were born in the U S or I was born in the U.S. I should say, um, Mm -hmm. And then you grew up, all of us grew up our whole lives in the U.S. Um, So that like our freedom of religion was never felt like it was uh, like being blocked Mm -hmm. in any way. So I didn't feel any need to be religious. Mm -hmm. So I I kind of understand why they are as -hmm. engaged as they are, but that's why it's different for us.
0: So we went to Ukraine and we experienced these realities. And with entwined trips, it's really intentional travel. There's curriculum built in that takes you through an arc of identifying the reasons that you're here, what values are you carrying with you as you're experiencing JDC's work with your Ukrainian counterparts, and also thinking in terms of action. What is our mutual responsibility to one another? With JDC showing up like this in humanitarian values, feeling that that's the right way to show up, can we now name our own values? And when we come home, now what? What's our commitment to action? How are we going to make our daily behavior align with our values?
2: I didn't actually even know this list, uh, but one uh, of my friends brought it up. So they, they said, you know, you've been doing a lot more Jewish stuff since you got back from Ukraine. And I guess I, I haven't, like, become religious or anything, but I have, like, Gone to the Holocaust museum a couple times uh i've been uh i lit a menorah for the first time ever this time ago mm. um, why I did you do that just in my apartment like that oh uh, yeah mm-hmm. uh, mom gave me like uh i, I didn't really light the menorah it was automatically lit itself I just had to press <laughs> <up. But laughs> okay i like yes. i I had never would do something like that before mm. so I think in like very small ways i have uh Just kind of uh, felt more in touch with Judaism and some and not like in any significant way, but just in small ways.
1: Well, the specific problems with community engagement in general in D.C. which is that this is a transient city. People come here for work, they you know for a few Mm -hmm. years and then they move on, or they you know they come here later in life, and it's um, at least at least in the in the the circles that I'm running, I don't mean to say that there aren't a very established native population to DC, um, but those people aren't usually Russian speaking Jews, and so Russian speaking Jews are like coming in and out, and so there aren't as many roots as as may- maybe in New mm-hmm. York. Yeah, so I just wanna, I just wanna be, I wanna tap, I wanna build roots, I wanna give give that back to people here who might be like me. I'm sure there there are other Russian-speaking Jews who came here from New York. Like there's definitely a profile of people who did international relations, maybe are even like in the same industry as me, and now have uh, realized that they don't really have that same community. So I think that would be really cool if we just found each other and, and built those groups together.
0: Meanwhile, Asher attributes a lot of how he turned out to a couple of trips he took when he was younger, first to Israel when he was 15, and then his first trip to the Soviet Union when he was 20, which would inspire the rest of his career. Yeah, coming back from that trip, how did you show up in your daily life?
1: Oh, Maybe differently.
3: completely changed. I came back, I looked for ways to channel my enthusiasm constructively on behalf of Jewish people and uh, Soviet Jewry was the way to do it. We used to have rallies um, probably three or four times a year on Sunday and there was all sorts of work that had to be done leading up to it and um, there were times in New York that that could have been several tens of thousands of people. We would come out and we would march and we would chant and we would basically there was a sense of community. We were all doing something and it was very clear where everyone stood in this. The Soviet Jews were oppressed Jews, and they were oppressed by this evil, what later became called the evil empire.
0: Obviously, there's a range of ways that a transformative experience will manifest in your life going forward. Going to the former Soviet Union and exploring contemporary Jewish communities there, Matt came back with an instinct to show up honestly with more sides of his identity with friends and to honor our ancestors' memory and rekindling their traditions in his own home in small, actionable ways. Caroline came back with the instinct to community build in her new home. And Asher was activated to rekindle that kinship for our families whose voices needed to be amplified at that time.
3: I don't know what coming back is. I think everyone has to judge it for himself. But for example, if you um, meet someone um, from the former Soviet Union and you say, who are you? And that person, the woman says, I'm a mother, I'm a... Wife, I am a physician, I play piano, I'm a Jew, and one of those multiple identities that she has, she identifies as a Jew. I think that's an extraordinary story.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: I'd love to see more, I'd love to see how she expresses it and hope she does express it in some way. But that first step is identifying as a Jew. I think that's extraordinary. Yeah, really. And that it provides an opening for for whatever that next step is going to be. However, that person, that person can express it religiously. That person can express it ethnically. That person could become a, um, a Jewish artist. However, it is mm-hmm. that t- to take that next step to find a way to express that identity in some way. I think is mm-hmm. I think is extraordinary. It's not going to happen for everybody, but
0: yeah, there's the fact, fact that it happens
3: for anybody. I think. Mm-hmm. Certainly from that part of the world, um, I think it's
0: amazing. We are in an interconnected world, and a lot of our identity is in our relationships and how we show up for one another. In these bi-monthly episodes, we'll be exploring what that showing up looks like for different American Russian-speaking Jews, as well as some in the former Soviet Union who are activating communities there. Kavanah is a Hebrew word meaning being intentional. It's a way to be more purposeful and present. Can you answer for yourself what intentions inspire your actions? On the next Not Your Babushka's Russian-Speaking Jew, we'll hear different ways people answer this question and others as we continue our exploration of this very complex Russian-Speaking Jewish identity. Not Your Babushka's Russian-Speaking Jew has been made possible with the generous support of Genesis Philanthropy Group. Learn more about our work at jdcintwinedorg slash